Well, good morning, and I guess they tell us there's like, what, a thousand uses for duct tape? Have you heard that? Have you seen the plane built out of duct tape? Have you ever seen that? I'm not getting on it, but there's supposedly a plane built out of duct tape. A thousand uses for this. Now, I don't know what all thousand are, but there's got to be a good 10 or 15 uses that have to do with getting initiated or hazed, right? You know what I'm talking about? You're getting into a club, a fraternity, maybe it's your first year on a team. When they get this out, it's not to fix something. Okay, nothing good is about to happen when they pull, when they pull out the duct tape. Kind of makes me glad when Jesus and the disciples were inventing this thing called the church that duct tape hadn't been invented yet, right? I mean, that's the good news. When you join the Heights, we don't use any duct tape uh, involved in that, okay? But you know what? We are a team and there is some initiation. We started last week a, uh, a short series on ordinances, or, or maybe you've referred to them as sacraments in our tradition. That's the Lord's Supper, it's baptism. And uh, as we began looking at that, we started with a, a definition given to us by a guy named Augustine. Augustine came out of the 5th century, lived a long time ago, but still had the best definition of, of these things that we talk about. He said, these are an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual reality. Now, if you were here last week, you remember, we made a big deal out of that inner reality, that, that, that being the real crux of the message when we celebrate these symbols. And one of the reasons we made such a big deal out of, is there an inner reality, is because Jesus warned us in Mark chapter 7 uh, uh, about coming to church and putting on outward symbols when there's not an inward reality. And so we kind of talked through that a little bit, you know, understanding what that inner reality means, what we're picturing in these things, and, and just kind of thinking, hey, when I was baptized, that might have been three or four years ago for you. For me, it was 34 years ago. But when I was baptized, what was the inner reality? Was there an inner reality? What was going on inside last time I took the, the Lord's Supper? What is that inner reality? And then we finish kind of talking about that th these symbols, like an American flag, rallies us together. These symbols rally us. Th they rally us to the team. Well, today we're going to look at baptism. And, and we're going we're gonna to look at what it means. And I think in doing that, we'll, we'll be able to dissect a little bit of this inner reality and see what is going on there with us. And then I think it'll be a short bridge we'll have to cross to see how does, when, when one person's up there being baptized, how does that rally us all together? That's what we're going to try to look at today. And so we're going to start by looking at where baptism begins for Christians, and that's in Matthew chapter 3, with Jesus being baptized. So if you have your Bible with you today, and I sure hope you do, open up to Matthew chapter 3, or if you're using a Bible app, dial it up on your phone, and uh, get to Matthew chapter 3 there. That's at the beginning of your New Testament, Zechariah and Malachi to the left, and Mark and Luke to the right, if you're kind of thumbing through that area. Matthew chapter 3, and I'm going to begin in verse 13. Matthew 3, verse 13. It says there, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I, I, I need to be baptized by you. D do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so for now. 
For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased." Boy, can you imagine being, being John at this moment as Jesus is approaching him? You know, now in this moment, John is one of very few people who actually knows who Jesus is. Uh, this is at the, chronologically, this is Jesus beginning his public ministry. His life has been kind of obscure. I mean, he had a big entrance, right? We call it Christmas. Y'all remember that? But after that, we don't hear or see a lot of Jesus. In Luke, he pops up when he's 12 years old, and that's just a few verses. So we really don't see Jesus from that big entrance at Christmas till right now. And and so, you know, who knows who he is? Well, Mary, his mom knows who he is, right? John the Baptist knows who he is. I don't know who else there'd be. Maybe a, a couple other people that are holdovers from Christmas. They're still alive. They remember that and, and, and maybe have put that together. But, but there would be precious few people. And John the Baptist is one of those that already knows, hey, this guy is the son of God. And so as Jesus a, a, approaches him, he kind of has this thought of, hey, this is, this is backward. Now, you know what? He could feel really privileged, couldn't he? I mean, if you're in the baptism business, you know, being able to say, put out there on the bat billboard, we baptize the Son of God, I mean, that's going to be good for business, isn't it? That's going to that's go over well. So you know he could be thinking, hey man, this is a big moment. But whatever sense of privilege he might have felt in that clearly gets overwhelmed by a sense of unworthiness. And I think we all understand what he's asking. Hey, Jesus, shouldn't we flip this around? Sh- shouldn't you be, be baptizing me? And look at what Jesus' answer is there. Look down, look down at your scripture, what he says there. Your translation probably says something like it, to fulfill all righteousness. Kind of a fancy religious way of just saying, hey, John, it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Now, why would it be the right thing for Jesus to do to, to get baptized by, by John? Is, is Jesus there expressing that he's been forgiven of his sins? No, of course not. He has no sins. Is he there being baptized to, to show that he's been saved? No, he, he was never lost. So what makes this the right thing? Well, if you start turning your pages after the, the baptism, you're going to see Jesus beginning to meet people and interacting with people. And he says the same thing over and over and over. Follow me. It's his invitation to you and me still today, isn't it? Follow me. And what Jesus is doing in baptism is he is creating a place. He is creating a way where right away you and I can do just what he did. We're right away. Hey, this is the point. This is the place that I begin to follow Christ. And following Christ is hard, isn't it? I mean, I've done some easier things in life. Following Jesus, saying what he would say in this moment, doing what he would do in this moment, going where he would go, handling this. Like, I mean, following Christ is hard sometimes in the business place, at school, maybe in some 
people in front of some groups, that's, that's not real hard for you to do, but you get around another group of people, and boy, it's, it's really hard to follow Christ in that moment to, to do what he would do. So it's a challenge, this thing of following Christ, but not this part. I mean, think about what Jesus created for us in this first step. A way just to kind of knock it out of the park. I mean, this is just not hard to do. I mean, right away, you and I can say, hey man, I did what Jesus did. Now, notice a couple of things. Two things about what he did here. You, you look down in your text and it says that Jesus, does your translation say he came up? Does it say that? Look down, not at me. You see it? Does it, does it say he came up from the water? Okay, now we're going to do a little physics here. It's hard to come up from the water unless you have first gone down into the water. Are you tracking with me? I know we've already, you know, we're trying to figure this all out in an hour less of sleep, right? But you've got to go down into the water before you can come up out of the water. Hold on to that picture. See what it says right there. And then notice the second thing. The second thing I just want you to see about this today, kind of simple. Man, the Father shows up and speaks. It says the heavens open and the dove, or it says the Spirit comes down like a dove and, and he lights on Jesus there. And then God the Father speaks. And what has to just be an, an incredibly intimate moment between a father and a son. And, and, and God says, you know, I just I couldn't love you any more than I do right now. I just couldn't be any more proud, any more excited about right here, right now, this moment. Now, I think probably in a big sense, in kind of a big picture, Jesus is beginning his public ministry. There is a reason that Jesus came to this earth. And what Jesus is doing right here in this moment is kind of kicking that off. It's, it's getting it started. I mean, you think about the father and the son planning this moment in eternity past. And now it's starting to happen. Okay, this act is going to lead to the next act is going to lead to the next act is going to lead to the cross and ultimately the resurrection. So, yeah, this is a big moment. I I imagine that's part of what God is saying here. But the big moment does happen at an event. I mean, it's not it's not that Jesus is just walking down the road and says, boy, here I'm getting started. No, it's at his baptism. It's at that baptism that God says, hey, this this is a moment right here that, that makes me proud. Now let's think for a second about what baptism means. What, what, what's, what's this word mean? The word baptism actually is not an English word that, that we're translating a Greek word. The word baptism is a Greek word. It's baptizo. We, we say it baptism. And, and the word has two meanings. It means to immerse and to identify with. Sounds like two different things, but they, they do kind of go together. But immerse and identify with. Now, immerse means to go completely under the water. If I'm standing in the kiddie pool up to my knees, would you say I'm immersed in the water? No. If, if I'm wading out in the waves and it's coming up to about right here, would you say I'm immersed? No, immerse has the idea of going all the way down, of going all the way under the water. As a matter of fact, in the Greek language, they would use the word baptism sometimes with sunken ships. You and I, you know, the ship gets a hole in it, goes to the bottom, laying on the floor down there. We'd say that's a sunken ship. In the Greek language, they would say that's a baptized ship. So the word baptized has the idea of going all the way down under the water. 
The other meaning behind it is to identify with. Now, when you think about this identifying, that sounds differently, but here's where identification and immersion kind of come together because when you talked in the Greek language about baptism, what they would normally hear and think about is somebody who dies cloth. If you said that person's a baptizer, you wouldn't be thinking of John the Baptist. You'd be thinking of somebody that dyes cloth for a living. And so they would take this piece of white cloth. It's identified as white, but then they immerse it into the dye. And when it comes back up, now it's identified as red. Or or they immerse it into the dye and it comes back up. Now it's identified as, as purple. You see, so the immersion changed it and gave it a new identification. And and so that's kind of how those words came together. I know you're very excited. You're probably thinking, you know, when I woke up this morning, an hour less of sleep, I was thinking about sunken ships and cloth and dye and boy, just how that all tied together with my Christian life, right? You're wondering how that all connects. Well, let's see. Look with me at Romans chapter 6. If you're in Matthew, go to your right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Get to Corinthians, you've gone too far. Romans chapter 6. Still flipping there. There we go. Romans chapter 6, let me begin in verse 1. Romans 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Your translation might say, of course not. May we continue in sin. You know, we're, we're a people who trust in the grace of God, right? Isn't that good? We've got God's grace. We've got God's forgiveness. We don't have to worry about losing heaven. Wasn't that fun singing about heaven a moment ago? We don't have to worry about losing heaven. We don't have to worry about losing this relationship with God. So does that mean it doesn't matter how we live? Does that mean, well, you know what? I can, I can, I can just go right on sinning now. That's kind of the question being dealt with here. Can, can we just go? I mean, we got grace. And, and Paul says, no, of course not. By no means can we continue to do that. Because our great desire now is Christ. You, you see, my delight used to be sin. I delighted in my sin. I delighted in how it made me feel. I delighted in what it accomplished for me. I delighted in what it helped me to, to do. But no, now I delight in Christ. And my Christ doesn't delight in sin. So no, there's, there's no way I can be okay with just going on and sinning. So you and I have got this issue. That's why it's being addressed here because it happens for every single one of us. We, we come to Christ, we love him, we're forgiven, we're holding on to his grace. But then we, we end up back sinning sometimes, right? And we have to remind ourselves this is not okay. Okay, so what do I do about it? Well, let's see. By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus, don't you know, I mean, this this word right now means both things. Don't you know that that moment when you were immersed in Christ, don't you remember that moment that you identified your life as belonging to Jesus, that you identified your life as a Christ follower? Don't you know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We, we identified with Jesus' death. Just as Jesus died for our sin, so we die to our sin. He says, hey, do you remember here when Christ was buried, therefore, with them by baptism into death? Just as Jesus was buried, so we identify with Jesus in that we are buried. Were you and I buried? 
No, that was the symbol we put on with our baptism, right? We were buried in that watery grave. So we identify with death and sin. We identify with the burial. And guess what? We identify with the resurrection. We're we're lifted up from those waters because we went down into them like Jesus. We're lifted up from those waters picturing our resurrection. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now folks, what baptism is doing is it is picturing what has happened in my life. It is illustrating that I've been saved. Baptism does not save us. It doesn't make our salvation more official. It is a picture of our salvation. That moment. That, that you and I come to Christ and, and we come to Christ in lots of different ways. There's lots of different things going on in our life. We're at different ages, different things happening there. But that moment where we connect the dots, the light bulb goes off and, and we realize, hey man, I need to stop trusting in myself because I'm not okay. I, I, I'm not good. I, I sin. I do wrong. And that moment that I turn from my sin and I turn from myself, I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. My Savior, the one who died for me on the cross. I put my faith and confidence in what he did for me on that cross. At that moment, I'm saved. That's the moment that I become a child of God. That's the moment that eternal life becomes mine, that I'm, I'm forgiven of all my sins. That's when I'm saved. So salvation is complete right there. And then in that status of being saved, God commands you and he commands me to put on a sign, to put on a symbol, to demonstrate, to have a way of demonstrating to our family and friends what has happened in our lives. And we identify our lives as belonging to Christ. Just as he died for sin, I died to it. Just as he was buried, so I was buried. Just as he was resurrected, so I am resurrected to a new life. So notice there is the salvation and then there's the putting on of the symbol. And that's why, folks, in in our church, in our denomination, we believe in what is called believer's baptism. There's a decision. There's becoming a believer. See, there's an order here that the New Testament is showing us. There's becoming a believer and then there's following it with baptism. And believer's baptism is in contrast to what a lot of denominations believe where they baptize infants. Now, we, we love our infants here at the Heights, don't we? Yeah, we, we love kids. We love kids and we pray for kids. And boy, the moment they draw that first breath, mom and dad, your church family, we're praying that child at an early age is going to come to faith in Christ. At an early age is going to reach out his or her little hand and put it into the hand of Jesus. But baptism's not how that's done. God does not give baptism as a symbol to parents about their commitment to raise a child. There's not any verse in the New Testament. There is nothing there that directly or indirectly apply, uh, suggests that baptism is, is something mom and dad do for a child. That, that, that a church does this for a child as a way of entering the club, as a way of entering the kingdom. There's nothing like that at all in Scripture. A child is not making an infant, rather, is not making a decision. But rather, it is the believer 
that is making a decision. And whatever age that believer is, that believer might be three or four years old. And that believer might be 63 or 64 years old. But it's when they make their own personal decision to come to faith in Christ, that's when they put on the sign and symbol. Now, folks, what's happening in Romans 6, back to why we read this, What's happening here is Romans 6 becomes, Paul's using our baptism as a way of reminding us of the decision we've made in our life. How can an infant look back on a decision they made in their life? You can't. But see, what Paul says is, listen, your baptism should not just be an event that you accomplished back there in your religious life somewhere. Like I said, for me, that was 34 years ago. Oh, Bible wants me to get baptized. Boom, I did it. Got it covered. No, what Paul says is my baptism should have ongoing, everyday meaning in my life. Because what happens in our lives, folks, is we're following Christ. We're tempted to sin, aren't we? And what Paul says is when you and I come up on those places, those times in life, when we're tempted to sin, he said, do you remember your baptism? Do you remember when you identified your life as belonging to Christ? Do you remember when you said you were dead to sin and alive to following Jesus? And now my baptism becomes a motivation. It becomes a way of jogging my memory and looking at that sin and saying, wait a minute, no, I died to lying. I died to greed. I died to lust. I died to living for myself. I died to getting even. And I'm alive to following Jesus Christ. Folks, our our baptism should always be right there. Do you see now why that order is important? Because if I don't even remember being baptized, or I wasn't actually making a decision to become a follower of Christ, I was just, you know, in the club here, you you, got to get baptized to join the club. That's what we do at church. You see, if if that's the meaning, then now... My motivation doesn't have any application to my ongoing life. There was no inner reality. There was no inner meaning there. So folks, when I, you know, the Bible says get baptized. Okay, what does that mean? What do I do? Okay, if I'm going to choose a way of getting baptized that best represents that I'm following Christ and that I'm trying to do what he did, then how am I going to get baptized? If I'm going to choose a way of baptism based on the meaning of the word, how am I going to get baptized? If I'm going to choose a way of baptism that expresses what has happened, what has actually happened in my life and can be an ongoing motivation for me as I'm trying to live out what has happened in my life, then how am I going to be baptized? I mean, folks, there's just no way to look at any of these questions without coming to the place of saying, this is the order. You come to your own personal decision of faith in Jesus Christ, becoming a child of God, and then you put on the symbol. And the New Testament shows us a symbol. It only shows us one way of doing that symbol. You go down into the water and you come up out of the water. Folks, this is, this is what the New Testament, this is what Jesus has given us. Now, if you're here today, and I, I know in a room this size, there, that we have, this is going to be the case. We're, we're going to have people in here say, well, if I, was, if I was sprinkled as an infant, are you saying that I'm not really saved? No, I'm not saying that at all. Because baptism at any age and baptism however you do it is not what saves us. 
If you're counting on baptism to save you, then I can tell you you're not saved because the scripture says that. So we're, we're no, that's not saying. You're, okay, well, uh, if you're saying then that if I was, if I was baptized as a, an infant or maybe I, I came into the church later in life and the church I went into, I was sprinkled. Are you saying that that was wrong, that was bad and, and God's angry at me? No, no, I'm, I'm not saying that either. And so then now you would say, well, then what is it you are saying? Up there flapping your arms around. Well, you know what? This is what I'm saying. Jesus and the New Testament very clearly show us an order and they show us a way. Why not choose the order and the way that it, they gave us? There's an order and there's a way. Why do it any differently? You know, folks, when you and I, and again, I believe a three-year-old can do this. And I've seen 63-year-olds do it. When you and I step into the waters of baptism, there's an opportunity in that moment to, to create an attitude. To, to set an attitude and to set an agenda that, that says, hey, listen, in this first step, I am really trying to begin a life of doing what Jesus did. And this is the easiest thing I'm going to do. Baptism, that's the easy part. So in my very first step, I don't want to start off by saying, oh, you don't have to get all caught up in the way. That doesn't really matter. Is that the attitude that we want to set as we're going through our Christian life and see, oh, it doesn't really matter. You don't have to do just what he did or say what he said. You don't have to go exactly like the scripture says that. Or it does. You know, as long as you did it somewhere out there. See, that sets an attitude and agenda also. It gives us an order and a way. You know, I've talked with a, a lot of folks over the years in the ministry of, of dealing with this question, answering that question. One of the things I hear is, you know, I, I, it's not that I'm opposed to the order and the way. It's just that when I look back there, first of all, that was meaningful to me. Maybe, maybe they were an, an adult or a youth and that was meaningful. That was sincere. I actually got saved after that. Or, well, you, you know, it was sprinkling. I mean, that's just what that church did. It's, it's no big deal. But you know what? I was sincere. That was meaningful. Or that was something my parents, you know, that was important to them. It was important to us as a family. And so they feel like if they do anything now, that that's somehow renouncing what you did in the past. You're rejecting what you did in the past. You're saying that was bad. That was wrong. My parents were bad. My parents were wrong. Oh, you're not, you're not saying anything like that. And I'm saying that from first hand. I was baptized, I was sprinkled as an infant as I came into the Presbyterian church as, a, as an infant. And, and, and then we went down as a family and we joined the Southern Baptist Church. I told you about that last week. And, and I was baptized with my family. I tell you what, it was a special moment. It was a very meaningful moment. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was kind of religious, kind of spiritual. It's a great family memory. One minor detail, I was not a follower of Christ. That was not my personal decision to follow Him. I was just kind of going with the flow and doing what they told me to do there at the church. But I hadn't made a decision to follow Christ. Two years later when I did, okay, there's an order and there's a way. And if anybody from my past would have asked me about that, I wouldn't have been saying, oh, back then they were wrong and they were bad and they led me astray. No, you know what? Following Christ is a, is a whole series of days of just being in God's word, 
getting a little bit closer, understanding a little bit more. Hey, the, the scripture does speak. And you know what? It's kind of a whole series of just tweaking life, isn't it? I learn a little bit more, I understand a little bit more, and, I, and then I tweak and I try to adjust and I try to get a little bit closer to just doing what Christ said, the way he said to do it. Folks, the scripture gives us an order and it gives us a way. And isn't that the point, to do what Jesus did? Folks, we begin following Christ in the waters of baptism. That's where we begin. Now, let's... T- cross a real short bridge because we've said also, hey, this rallies us. We rally around baptism. What does that mean? You know, folks, if you think about, me, gosh, look around the room, how many of us there are in here? And a lot of us were followers of Christ. We've made that decision in our lives. Think about it. We came to Christ all different ways. Some of us, we just kind of put two and two together. Nothing was significant going on in life. Maybe we were in a Bible study. Maybe we just had started going to church and we were listening and we were learning and one day we just put it together and hey, this is the decision I need to make. Others, maybe we came to Christ. It was one of the deepest, darkest, most hurtful times in our life that led us to crying out to Christ. We, we come to Christ as male and female. We come to Christ from, you know, different backgrounds. As a matter of fact, none of us in here did this, but we come to Christ in different centuries. We come to Christ on different continents. I mean, there's all kinds of ways we end up coming to Christ. But folks, when we step into those waters of baptism, do you realize at that moment we become one? At that moment, we've all done the exact same thing. At that moment, we all have that common bond. The scripture says it this way. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. If we could bring that up. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into what? Into one body. Man, we came to these waters from all different kinds of experiences and backgrounds. But when we hit that water, we were one body. Whether we in the past were Jew or Greek, whether we were slave or free. Says it again in Galatians chapter 3. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. Can we just say praise God? How incredible is that? I I am a son of God, not because of how good I am, how strong I am, how wise I am, or how spiritual I am, but because of Christ Jesus and my faith in him. We're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized, as many of you went into those waters, as many of you identified your lives with Christ, having put on Christ. And in those waters, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. Folks, in that moment, we are more alike then maybe our gender would make us or, or our ethnicity would make us or our, or our financial background would make us. And the opposite is all true, also true. In that moment of baptism, we are more alike than we are different because of our gender or different than because of our ethnicity or different because of our financial status. In that moment, we become one. We are the baptized ones. We are those who follow Christ. And here's how we also rally. One person, one person up there being baptized. But in that moment across this room, hundreds of us, at least this is what's supposed to be happening, right? One person being baptized, but it reminds every one of us, hey, I did that, I'm like them. 
I also made a commitment to become a follower of Christ, which should then lead us all to rallying around one thought. How am I doing at that? How am I doing at, at following Christ? You know, folks, a lot of times when I'm, I'm thinking about how I'm doing at following Christ, I'm just thinking about a little checklist of things I do right and wrong, right? Let's see, how am I doing at following Christ? Well, shoot, let me think. I didn't lie this week. I only cussed once. They had it coming. Um, let's see, I don't think I had a lot of bad thoughts. Uh, you know, and then, and so we just kind of go through, a, you know, we just go through a little checklist like that. But you know, a lot of times when I'm thinking about following Christ, I'm not thinking about you. And that's completely and totally wrong. What happened when I was baptized? I not only identified with Christ, I not only became one with Christ, I identified with the body. I became one with the body. Folks, you and I cannot evaluate how we're doing at following Christ without asking the question, who's helping me follow Christ and who am I helping? Because we follow together. There's no such thing as me just in a silo all by myself deciding if I'm doing a good job at following or not. My following is dynamically and vitally connected to your following. We are followers of Christ. It started at baptism. And anytime we see somebody baptized, we're rallying to that idea and to that thought. So what do we do with that? Where do, where do we go now? We're done. Message is over. So what do we do with that? Hey, listen, if you are not a follower of Christ, why not? And I'm not saying why not, what's wrong? I'm not challenging you. I'm saying why not? What, what are the reasons that you've chosen not to be a follower of Christ? Now, it could be that you're here today and this is brand new for you. You're just kind of beginning this, this journey of, of opening up the scriptures and trying to understand what it says about this person named Jesus and, and if this is somebody you want to follow and... Maybe right now you're just saying, you know, I'm just not there. That's not me. Hey, I'm grateful you're here. I'm grateful you would come along and be with us in trying to understand this thing and keep taking a step forward. But maybe you're here today and, and when, you say, when I say why not, you really don't have a reason. There's no really good or valid reason that you've not chosen to become a follower of Christ. Why not today? Why not today step into eternal life and know the forgiveness of all your sins and, and be a child of God as we just saw in that passage. In a moment when we leave here, you can go out these doors, big window in the back. There's a desk in the left-hand corner. There'll be a group of people standing around that. You can just walk out there and say, hey, could you tell me how to begin a relationship with Christ? How do I, I start following Him? Maybe you're here today and you've already made that decision. But maybe you're kind of listening today and thinking, hey, I might, I might have a little question about my, my baptism. There might be something there about the order or the way that it's not quite like what it shows in the New Testament. And, and I think I might want to. And that would be my question. Why not? Why not put it in the right order and in the, and in the right way that the Scripture shows us? You know what? I'm confident there are probably dozens of people in this room right now that kind of need to think through that question. Why would I not do this just like the scripture shows us? I'm not talking about what denomination that you're a part of or what denomination introduced this to you. What, what does God's word show you? Man, go out there today at that same desk and say, hey, I'd like to talk to somebody about baptism. I think I'd like to 
put that in this order and in this way. You know what we're going to do, baptism next Sunday, Palm Sunday. What an exciting way to celebrate Palm Sunday. Get baptized. Put that order in that way like the New Testament shows us. And then we're all going to share in the Lord's Supper together. What an exciting way to prepare for Easter. And then, and then there's all the rest of us. And I, my guess is a lot of us in this room, we have become followers of Christ. And we followed that decision with believers' baptism. So we've kind of got this covered. So then we just stop and ask ourselves, how am I doing it following? And if I'm really asking that question, and then I'm also asking, who have I allowed into my life in such a way that they're praying for me, they're encouraging me, they're challenging me, they're helping me follow? And likewise, I'm involved in somebody else's life in a way that I'm praying, encouraging, challenging, and helping because we've been identified as one body. This is not a room of 500 individual believers. This is the body of Christ. Man, if you're, if you're here today and, and really your only engagement with the church, with the heights, is the big room, can I encourage you to consider taking a step to the smaller room? You know, here at our church we call it life groups. Getting involved in smaller groups and the primary purpose for that is to be building relationships. It's not just to sit in a room and do Bible study and have prayer, although that's a big activity that goes on in those rooms. But the real, res- the real goal is that we're growing together and we're following together. If you're not involved in a life group, let me encourage you to go out here. We have an information desk kind of right that direction. Go to the information desk and say, hey, could I see a list of the life groups and, and how I might get connected there and go, go check that out? Because folks, we, we come together and we obey God in being baptized to identify with Christ, to identify with each other because we're followers of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just like that spirit came down out of heaven and landed on Christ, I, I pray your spirit would, would land on each of us right now. Speak to us. Guide us on what in our following of Christ we should do next. Is it to come to faith in Christ? Is it, is it to follow in believers' baptism? Is it to get connected with other believers? Guide us right now, Holy Spirit, and what we might tweak today, what we might tweak this week in becoming a faithful follower of yours. For you are our great delight. You are, Jesus, our great desire. Help us follow you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.